You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. Live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio, part of the Republic of Football podcast feed with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Do you need to gear up for. Texas Tech football, maybe a road trip to Morgantown. You can do it at Cardinal Sports. They've got the vaults unlocked. We'll get you some throwback merch there from Under Armour for now at Cardinal Sports Center, mycardinalsports.com. We're in person live in Lubbock, right outside the loop on Slide Road. Cardinal Sports Center has it for you. Kyle, how you doing? A lot better than Pitt fans. A lot better than Pitt fans. Can I get an air horn for that? You know, Rob, something I like to do is pick up tendencies on film. Yeah. And I should have noticed this earlier about you, but you have a move at the beginning of the show. Do you know what it is? Uh, What is it? It's either like right before we go live or right after. You hit me with a lean back and the phone comes up. Yeah. So... You're like getting settled in. Maybe you have some notes on your phone, but every episode, it's right there. It's getting comfortable, man. Yeah. If I was scheming against you, I'd be like, all right, he's about to show his phone on the screen real quick while he leans back. Get you a screenshot? Yeah. I'm just flashing my gold phone, man. Let everybody know. Hey, let them know. I Hit him with the, the Shador, but with your phone. <laughs> Wrist flex. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Let's talk about that. We talked about the Big 12 games and Big 12 After Dark. That'll be up on uh, YouTube. You can still watch it, listen to it on Twitter. Uh, it's pinned to the top of our Twitter account, at Gambling Gauchos. Brought to you by Barnett, Howard, and Williams. We do it every Saturday night, uh, 11-ish, sometimes 1.30 a.m., depending on when <laughs> Texas Tech finishes. Uh, but that's a fun time. So we talked about all the Big 12 games already, but – Finishing at 1.30 a.m., a double overtime thriller, Colorado, Colorado State, before we talk about the Tarleton game, which everyone's on pins and needles for. Uh, what a finish. I said on Big 12 After Dark, I thought Colorado State was probably going to finish that game out. And when there is a, a 98-yard drive for Colorado to tie it with an eight-point deficit, I thought for sure Colorado State had it in the bag, but Shadur Sanders had different thoughts. It really is amazing. Like just the, what are we on now? Like 15 day, 16 day stretch that they've had the last three weekends, but basically two weeks. And it's, it's cliche to say something like this. You know, people on ESPN say this all the time, but like live sports is better than anything you can script. And I, honestly, dude, I thought, I mean, I was, I was here for the Dion hype and everything. Like I, I love it. I thought they were going to suck. <laughs> you know, week one, they're 20-point dogs in Fort Worth, and they play an incredible game, win a close one. It's like, okay, they might have something here. And then kind of renew an old rivalry with Nebraska. They win that in front of 
a just absolutely packed home crowd. He goes on big noon kickoff and or game day every weekend. And, you know, now they've got the in-state rivalry again, sold out crowd after dark. And, you know, they're down by two touchdowns and he, he kicked a field goal on the one. And I was like, prime, what are we doing, man? This doesn't seem on brand at all, but it, you know, it winds up working out. They get another field goal down eight and then that 98 yard drive and, Man, just so many storylines like the the Norvell comments before the game about, you know, I when I'm speaking to an adult, I take my hat and my sunglasses off. And then the pregame scuffle, the borderline, I don't even want to say borderline, just targeting Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders. I have a question on that. Yeah. How is that tackle earlier in the day? I forget which game it was now. Florida, oh no, it was Mississippi State LSU. That clean tackle in the middle of the field where he puts his helmet into his chest, but the guy jumps into it. How is that targeting, but a, a, a legitimate cheap shot on the sideline out of bounds is not cause for an, a, an ejection? I think they have tunnel vision on the whole leading with the helmet thing. Like they're trying so hard to get guys not to do that, that, yeah, even if you if it's not helmet to helmet and it looks like a normal tackle, they're sensitive to it. But, yeah, if you hit a guy three seconds after the play when the ball drops out of bounds and you shoulder him in the ribs while he's unprotected, like, yeah, you'll get flagged for it, but you won't get ejected for targeting. And so that should I, think, be I think so, too, and probably a suspension going forward. Like, if you hit a guy that late and knock him out and he misses time, I think it warrants a suspension. Um, so, anyway, you know, they call it auto storms the field, and you have the typical Twitter gatekeepers about when it's appropriate – Look, if it's double overtime and it's an in-state rivalry, I don't care if you're favored by 23 or 24. Yeah. Like, you're, you've are you got to capitalize on what is right now the biggest storyline in college football. More energy and momentum than this program has had combined for the last 20 years. Storm the field. Who cares? You won one and, game last year. Storm the field. Yeah, seriously. Cherish it. Um, and then after the game, I told you during the after dark that I was curious for that post-game handshake. It looked cordial until – Norvell turned around and Shador hit him with the wristwatch. <laughs> he just like flashed it real quick. Um, and they, you know, they asked Prime about it after the game. They asked Shador about it. And, you know, Shador said something like, you know, basically they disrespected Pops. And so it kind of just took it to another level. Yeah. I actually really liked Dion's answer, though. He said, like, you know, I, I don't know that guy very well, but I'm like happy for him. I'm proud of him. You know, he's another African-American coach in the game, and, like, I want him to succeed. I think his line was something like, you know, his blessings don't affect my blessings, and so I'm not going to root against him going forward. Um, He was like – he said something like, you know, my mom taught me that if somebody calls you out, you respond, but I'm not going to be petty about it. Like, I could sit here and be petty and take shots at him after the game. He's like, I'm not going to do that. You know, we we won the game. So, for all the talk about how he's, like – arrogant and just does stuff for the show like he's kind of telling you right there hey I could lean into this more and just make this post-game presser about me and Norvell and talk a bunch of trash but I'm not going to and so I the more I've followed this I've enjoyed it I've had a lot of fun watching Colorado and I I think he is flashy and he's confident and everything yeah he's not he's not quite the caricature just like I don't know he was almost portrayed as just this super arrogant clown and I don't think he's that. He he is, but it's genuine. 
like I mean, I, I guess I'd, I yeah, like he's he, he's arrogant, but it's like it's more just well learned confidence. And and to this point, they're three and zero. He's backed it up, and like you know, he didn't make them a twenty point dog in Fort Worth. That was the odds makers, and he was like, all we're gonna do is go out and play sixty minutes between the lines, and we won the game. And so. I don't know. I, I love what he's doing. I get that it's controversial and, you know, he's not perfect, just like anybody isn't perfect. Um, but, man, he's he's had some opportunities to take the low road, and I guess he kind of did after TCU kind of calling out individual media members. But, like, if you're 3-0, and I mean, say whatever you want, especially with you inherited a 1-11 team, and a lot of people thought you were going to be that again this year. So, Did you see the stat that Blender's – his sunglasses brand made $6 million the day after he gave sunglasses to his team. No. This stock is up, man. Blenders is a sunglass company. They they have a, an exclusive sunglasses deal with Prime. That's what he wears. He gave a bunch of sunglasses to his team after Norvell said, I take my sunglasses off. And the, the, the brand went up $6 million. It's crazy. Like, they're in KFC commercials, him and his sons. He's everywhere. Uh, I did like the the post game comments on the field. Uh, Quint Kessenich, Kessenich, whatever his name is. All of his questions were about the Prime family, and he's like, "Well, Shiloh had the interception. Shador did this. Shador did that." And Prime just goes, "Hey, man, I love my kids, but I have a whole team, and I love this team too. And the team played well tonight, so I, I like those comments as well." Yeah, same here. Um, and, and maybe he's kind of settled in a bit because when he first got the Colorado job, I, I felt like his his first kind of public statements were off-putting because he said stuff like, you know, hey, I'm bringing my luggage with me and it's Louie. I've got your quarterback. He's in the back of the room there, Shadour. And he, he did say at the time, he was like, but he's got to earn it. But it's kind of shifted from like, hey, I'm bringing in my son and he's better than all of you to like, hey, let's not make this all about my son. And so – Maybe he's kind of – I don't want to say learning because he's been in the public spotlight for forever, but he yeah. is new to being a Power 5 head coach, and maybe he's kind of got a better read on on when to say certain things and, and what to say. But, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the prime stuff. I know some people are sick of it. Danny Cannell is sick of it. I think that's, that's – like Florida some, State beef. It's Florida State beef. That That's all it is. It's like jealousy and – and, and they disrespected Florida State last year because he felt disrespected and he's not going to go back to Florida State. I, I, I pray to the football gods every night when I go to sleep that Prime ends up at Florida. <laughs> I, I think that would be Swamp 2.0. It would be incredible. They would win national championships. I don't know about that. But now, look, Prime is not going to go undefeated at Colorado. Um, I'm also anticipating when that happens, when the losses stack up, uh, but you look at that schedule, there's some wins there left. I mean, that half of the Pac-12 is not incredible. They are. Having said that, they go to Eugene and they're 21-point underdogs, which they did it two weeks ago against TCU. Who knows? Um, But, yeah, and talking about Prime going to Florida, I, that would be fun. I also think it would be fun if he wound up at the U. Like, you talk he about will- a – perfect fit like that program when it was good it was all about swagger flash like it wasn't hey we're gonna play old school rough nose football hard nose football um he'd be perfect there like 
you've got a coach that wears a gold chain on the sideline. Like what university does that fit better at than the U? So if he's going to go to a rival to spite Florida state, I hope, I hope it's the U, but I don't know. We'll see. Either one, either one I'm in. It's fun though. Like people are obviously preying on his downfall. I'm pretty neutral toward him. Like I didn't have feelings toward him one way or the other when he was pro. I, I remember watching him as a little kid and you know, he's not, controversial enough or off-putting enough for me to be like a hater so I was kind of neutral you know I was certainly curious to see how he would do at Colorado but now I'm just captivated I've, I watch them every week and I'm having a blast so he he's great for the sport great for the big 12 you know if he stays put there for a couple of years I'm all for it I as you know was an early adopter uh wanted him at Texas Tech uh, people laughed at me uh, well, I caped up hard for him to go to Fort Worth instead of Sonny Dykes. Now, Sonny Dykes obviously went to a national championship year one. You can't argue with that. He would have killed at Fort Worth, in my opinion, in the DFW area, especially in recruiting, uh, especially with uh, transfers coming back to Texas. I thought he would have been really, really good there. Um, but he's doing it at Colorado, and it's just amazing. Uh, it really is. All right, that's that's more than enough prime talk. I think that's 10 minutes of prime <laughs> And we can move on unless you have a final thought there on Dion. No, I, okay. like I said, I'm just loving it. I'm along for the ride and I'm, I'm tuning in every week. Like, like a lot of people clearly. Yeah. And that's for sure. I, I'm, I am patiently waiting for the uh, numbers on that Colorado, Colorado state game. Cause it's way late after dark unopposed. Uh, that's going to have a major number, I think, especially because it was such a good game. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing it'll be, among the top five, maybe the highest rated after dark game that we've seen in, in a while. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tarleton state, Texas tech comes away with a 41 to three win. It looked that, you know, the three and out to start the game was rough. Uh, and then you get to pick six and I, I needed that, man. I was down bad after the three and out. Uh, I wanted to start hot and fast and you ended up doing that with a defensive touchdown and then 14 quick points on offense. But overall, what did you think about the start to the game against Tarleton? I, you know, the gif of the dog having flashbacks to Vietnam. Yeah. It was that because like every, every game I do my notes and my rewatch notes and something I've written down way too many times this year is no handoffs, three and out. And, and I get it. Three and outs happen. Probably shouldn't happen against an FCS opponent very often. But when you possess the ball 12 or 13 times a game, at least a couple of those are going to be crappy possessions. That's the way it goes. But my beef has always been we're not even giving ourselves a shot to get into like third and short, third and manageable, set up play action, set up the sideline passes by making them put guys in the box. We're just not we're not abandoning the run. We're not ever starting with it or going to it in the first place. And so that was my like crap. Here we go again. No handoffs, three and out. Thought it was an ugly possession. I mean, I don't think – I guess we'll talk a lot about the quarterbacks and everything. I don't think Shuck did anything just dreadful on that possession. It just stalled out before it ever got started. And I, I was frustrated that the first play of the game wasn't a handoff. Yeah, especially in that moment with that defense out there, with the game you had last week. And I understand that they want Tyler Shuck to get confidence. But just get in the game and then get Tyler Shuck some confidence. 
Um, let's get right into the quarterbacks because we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the game. Um, I thought Ryan Leaf – I really don't like his calls to the game. <laughs> and maybe that's just because it's ESPN Plus and he's the 10th crew that ESPN has and he's Ryan Leaf. But I thought he had some pretty prescient comments on Tyler Shuck as a quarterback, as a former NFL quarterback, college high-level college quarterback that Tyler Shuck just did not look comfortable. And he didn't just grip it and rip it. And when Tyler Shuck's at his best, that's what he does. You see the drives against Oklahoma where he looks good. You see the drives against Oregon. You see the drives against Wyoming where you're just gripping it and ripping it. And for whatever reason, he just never got there against Tarleton State, and I just don't understand that. couple things. want to commend you on the word choice prescient it's a nice word i think that's a 20 dollar word uh also i like ryan leaf not as a broadcaster per se as a as a person i am a fan of ryan leaf great redemption story yeah uh but yeah i i'm really curious and i put some thoughts on this in the discord and i don't want to say anything out of pocket here but i'm really curious what is going on between tyler shucks years right now just in general not like I'm not talking about processing the defense while he's out on the field, but this is a guy who was a highly rated prospect out of high school. He goes to Oregon, which is, you know, pretty elite college football program backs up some guy named Justin Herbert. Who's a first round pick probably thinks he's on a similar trajectory. Like I'm going to step in as a starter, put up numbers in this offense, get drafted. Doesn't quite work out that way. COVID is his first season as a starter. He transfers to tech. And I remember the narrative around him when he got here. It was like, hey, we'll get him for one year. And then he's he's mocked by this mock draft as a first rounder. It's like, okay, well, this guy must be really good. He gets hurt. Same thing. He comes back in 22. And we're like, yep, one year, NFL, gets hurt again. He's back for year three. I don't think – he's had good moments for sure. He's had good games. I don't think he's ever looked to me like a slam dunk NFL prospect who's just – once he gets enough games on tape, he's gone. And so I'm just curious. Like, I'm not accusing him of any of this, but when you transfer from a program like Oregon to Texas Tech, and I know where we are in the pecking order relative to a program like Oregon, it's it probably is a step-down perception-wise. So, like, does he think, man, you know, I've got to go slum it out in, in West Texas? Like, is that a humbling experience for him or – Maybe he has a really good attitude about it and like views it as a good opportunity. He's changed offensive coordinators a bunch at Oregon and then Sonny Cumbie, and then he gets here. And I wasn't at the game last night. Heard from people who were there that when they're introducing the starting lineups, there's a smattering of boos when they announce Tyler Shuck. And then he hears the roar when Barron gets announced, when Barron goes in. I just wonder what his headspace is like right now, uh, both in the moment, in the season, and kind of the last two or three years that he's been in Lubbock. Like, how does he view his time at Texas Tech? Is he satisfied with it? Is he frustrated by it? Is he like, a, now that I've got a chip on my shoulder, I'm going to play better? Or is it screwing with him and damaging his ability to perform on the field? I I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm simply asking questions here but he's kind of a fascinating case study in terms of career trajectory to me. Well, did you catch the moment between him and Joey McGuire on the sideline as Baron Morton's going in, as the crowd roars, 
it's kind of a hey man pat on the chest you're still our guy I, I don't know if that's what he said Joey McGuire's facing the other way but you know Tyler Shutt kind of gives him the the Alonzo morning head shake and then kind of oh yeah you know I get it kind of head shake you're still the guy but and then he has to say it in the post game where Baron Morton obviously looks better in the game I don't think you could really say he didn't look better um played with more fire looked more into the game that's just my opinion and then in the post game comments you know Joey McGuire well he's Tyler Shuck still the guy yeah and I thought Joey handled it well during the in game interview on on ESPN plus you know the interviewer kind of said something about hey you know pretty big roar from the crowd there when when you're second string quarterback went in and he was like, yeah, you know, he's a hometown kid and West Texas local. So he's a fan favorite. It's like good response in the moment, but that's not, I'm sure that's part of why they're cheering. We do like it when West Texans become red Raiders. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's because they want him to be the starter. And, and, and I know Joey knows that, but he played it off well. And again, it's the kind of dynamic. It's like everybody surrounding the program, the fans, the rest of his teammates and coaching staff all heard the response everybody inside the building knows that everyone outside the building wants Baron Morton to be the starter. I, I say everyone, I, I think a solid majority. How, how does the starter handle that? Cause that is not a, I know there's the typical like, Oh, the backup quarterback's the most popular guy on the team, but this feels like a little bit more than that. And what do the players think? I mean, is there a growing concern inside the locker room? I don't know. We don't know. Um, but it feels like you're getting to Tim Tebow levels of Broncos quarterback um, billboards on the sideline. Let him start over whoever it was that Tim Tebow was wanting to be started over in Denver. Where you going to have billboards in Lubbock that say start Morton or Morton time. What was it? Tebow time. Was that the billboard that they put up in Denver? I think so. Yeah. And so was it Kyle Orton? Was it Kyle Orton? I think it was yeah. drunk. So I, I don't know what to make of it. I, th- I think um, in some sense it doesn't warrant a ton of conversation because Joey has very explicitly said Shuck is starting against West Virginia. He's our starter. I mean, he almost seems as committed to that. Like it'd be as ridiculous as somebody asking Mike McCarthy, like, hey, are you going back to Dak next week? He's like, yeah, like he's a starting quarterback. What do you want me to – we're not going to Cooper Rush. Dak's to start. Like they're – Shuck seems that entrenched to me. There's no gray area here or uncertainty so everybody's going to analyze Morton's play. It's probably the last time we see him play unless we either lose a ton of games or Shuck gets hurt. And so I guess we can get the Morton conversation out of the way. But uh, other than that, it's just kind of like fodder and chatter for people like us, you know, fans that do a podcast. Um, but it, it's clearly not going to change barring something significant happening. All right, let's get back into the game. After the pick six, you force a punt. And you have a seven-play touchdown drive, which, which uh, Taj Brooks for 38, Shuck for two, Shuck for six, Taj Brooks, Taj Brooks, Taj Brooks, Tyler Shuck, two-yard touchdown run. Uh, and then you had a ton of run-the-damn-ball tweets for myself and everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it's – I got to say, Rob, it's vindicating when the first handoff of the game goes for 37 or 38 yards. It's like – Yeah, we right can, Yeah, I remember you had a, a tweet – this I think this was Yost era. 
a few years ago, but they were trying to run some swing pass or screen to Sir Roderick, and he kind of like bobbled it and dropped it. And you were like, if you want to give Sir Roderick the ball, just turn around and hand it to him. Yeah. And that's how I feel like this doesn't have to be hard. I know that we can scheme a bunch of motion and stacked receiver looks. Was If you want Taj to touch the ball 20 times, catch the snap and hand it to him. Like it, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And so hell, just let him catch the snap. Yeah, let's. If you want to be crazy, put him in a wildcat. Yeah. So uh, it was good to see it. And Tarleton is an opponent. You should be able to shove them off the line. Your yeah. starting running back should have 20 carries for 150 yards or whatever Taj went for. Yes. And so I think we alluded to that before the game. Like, there's nothing that you're going to see on tape that makes you go, okay, like we're really good at this because of the opponent. But like, if you're not able to get a push for five yards a carry or something, that that would be a concern. You can clearly do it against Tarleton in the six times you did it against Oregon. You did it pretty well. I wish we had a larger sample size there. And, and Joey made some comments after the game about running the ball to set up the pass. And when you've got a good running back, it seems like you can block it pretty well. I mean, we never lose yards. I think Taj's worst runs, like he has two carries every game that go for like two or three. Everything else is four plus, and to me, that's a good run. So maybe the philosophy is starting to shift based on Joey's comments, and maybe in Morgantown we see a different approach. I would love it. Like, start with the running back, and then when they start keying on him, you've got a running quarterback. And then when there's eight guys in the box, then we can torch him throwing the ball. But in my opinion, quit throwing the ball 45 times a game and then only run it if they give you a run look. Like, let's let's flip it around, use the run to set up the pass, not not the other way around. Uh, you force another three and out, and then you go Taj Brooks for seven, Tyler Shuck for seven, incomplete pass, Taj for 15, Shuck run for three, Nehemiah Martinez run for eight, and then you have a 28-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Shuck, followed by another interception, uh, this time by Rabbit. Did Rabbit get the third one, or was that, uh... Did Malik Dunlap get the first two? Yeah, Malik got two, and then Rabbit got the third. Um, was that the Tharp touchdown reception? That was a Tharp 28-yard touchdown pass. That was beautiful. If you go to the highlights, um, great like route concept. Uh, I think Tharp was lined up like in a true tight end position on the end of the line of scrimmage. Uh, it might have been in the slot. I can't remember. But looks like he's running like a two- or three-yard shallow cross. And when he gets to the opposite hash, he just turns up and – is a great design because the guy kind of covering him is just going to like pass him off into the flats. And that's when he goes up the seam. So kind of a slow developing, but you know, the protection was good. Shuck was looking there all the way, just beautiful design. He's wide open. Like, I mean, it's just pitch and catch at that point. So love to see him continuing to get targets second game in a row with the touchdown and uh, beautiful play design. So credit to everybody there for, for the call and the execution. And then, yeah, they keep throwing at Malik Dunlap. That's their bad because he also had a pass breakup in between the two interceptions. And uh, at that point, we're two-thirds of the way to taking three for the first time this season. After the interception, uh, an eight-play drive that nets 33 yards in which you punt. Then you have a 12-play Tarleton drive that is a turnover on downs. Followed by a 13-play, 58-yard, six-minute drive 
that includes a lot of Taj Brooks and Nehemiah Martinez running the ball uh, that ends in a field goal after uh, Taj Brooks run for loss, one yard pass play to JJ Sparkman, and then an incomplete pass. Uh, but Gino Garcia looked good. Yeah, see, I can't complain there because they started that series of downs with a handoff. And, like, yeah, you might get stuffed, and then second and nine is probably a passing down. Third and nine certainly is. Uh, but, yeah, good to see. I, I said this before the game. I would love to see Gino get some live game reps when the game isn't on the line and when we're not rushing to get it off before the end of a half or end of the game. And he get, That was his first one. I think that was a 28- or 29-yarder, you know, not a difficult field goal. But good to see him just kind of get to attempt and, and nail a routine field goal. So I was happy with that. Uh, let's see. That ends the half after a couple of more drives, a punt from Tarleton, a punt from Texas tech, and then a one play into the half run for Tarleton halftime, 24 to zero. What were you thinking at halftime? Um, I was thinking, uh, I was really glad that we had turned them over twice. That was something I wanted to see. And, um, for the third game in a row, I was I was proud of the defense. Um, again, FCS opponent, you don't take a ton away from it. But they did hang 52 on each of their first two opponents, and so this is not an inept offense that can't move the ball and score points. So the fact that you're shutting them out, turning them over, I take as a great sign. Um, yeah, it feels like, feels like you um, could have been more explosive in the passing game against – an FCS defense. I mean, you certainly were against Murray state uh, last year in the, in the season opener, like you kind of gashed them with both Shuck and Donovan throwing the ball down the field, but good to see commitment to the run game. Good to see success in the run game. So overall I felt really good. I mean, you, you can always nitpick even when you're winning 24 to zero, but I had I had no major complaints other than um, just not really finding a ton of success throwing the ball. Yeah, I thought you left some on the table, left some meat on the bone per se, but I thought it was a fine half. I thought the defense played really, really well. Two interceptions, two turnovers. Uh, you had the turnover on downs, which I thought was a good stuff. So I, I was happy at halftime. I, I wish you scored 40 instead of 24, but again, you just are nitpicking the offense. You can't score every every down, every drive. Right. Uh, you mentioned leaving some meat on the bone. Do you know where I'd never leave any meat on the bone, Rob? Rahino Barbecue. That's right. If I'm going to Olton, Texas, I'm getting every last bite of Rahino Barbecue. Check them out on social at Rahino BBQ or, or go to their website, RahinoBBQ.com. You can also order ahead there. The marketplace is open seven days a week. Brick and mortar open five days a week. Best barbecue in West Texas. Uh, like I said, I didn't make it out to Lubbock for the Tarleton game. We're on the road this weekend, but I'll be back for U of H. And certainly working into the schedule, a trip to Olton for some Rahino barbecue. So appreciate their support of the Gauchos. Go check them out if you're making the trip back to Lubbock for a game this year. You will not regret it, and you will not leave any meat on the bone. No, you won't. They did uh, those dinosaur ribs one time. I don't think they have them on the menu always, but those are always a good one. Big old beef rib. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, second half, more of the same, a little bit, uh, but you're going to have 
Uh, one more drive from Tyler Shuck, they say, coming out of halftime. You force another punt from Tarleton State, and then you punt on your own accord with Tyler Shuck. And this was probably the most out of sync Tyler Shuck looked. Um, after two runs, a Taj Brooks run for six, Taj Brooks run for nine, incomplete pass, and then a short pass on third and seven in front of the sticks. And to me, Tyler Shuck just kind of looked looked like his dauber was down a bit. Yeah. Going back to the current state of his headspace, I that wouldn't surprise me if if you know his mind is kind of starting to play tricks on him a little bit. And you know, it's it's an FCS game. There's not a ton of urgency when you're up 24-0 getting the ball back um, in the second half. So I, I don't know. I, I, I would have obviously loved to see kind of more crisp execution from the offense while he was in. Didn't happen. But at the same time, they were running so well with Taj at that point. It, it, I think that masked a lot of the – because I was kind of surprised to look at Shuck's final stat line. Like, I have no idea how QBR is calculated. His QB rating was 16, even though he didn't turn the ball over. Yeah. And he, he threw a touchdown, so – I. I know his completion percentage was really low. I think he was an even 10 for 20. But to me, 16 is like you almost can't do worse than that. And I, I don't feel like his stat line warranted that at all. So I I almost think his QBR was made it seem like he played some dreadful game. And I don't think it was amazing or anything, but I don't, I don't think it was that bad. No, I don't think so. He had two touchdowns or running and a passing touchdown. Right. Uh, next drive was the rabbit interception after two plays. Baron Morton debuts, complete for four yards, run for no gain, sack, which nearly broke through and could have gotten a first down on it, got tripped up. And then Gino Garcia, 43-yard field goal on Baron Morton's first drive of the game. Yeah, some quick thoughts on that sequence. Um, one of the biggest complaints for the defense, which overall I think has been solid. I don't think the defense has lost you games. But one of the bigger items to nitpick was the pass rush never getting home. And it didn't get home on the rabbit INT, but it clearly impacted the throw. So I consider that a successful pass rush. And it got home a little bit later in the game when Miles Cole got two sacks. I'm sure we'll get there. Um, and then, yeah, Barron comes in and, like you said, almost gets out of that sack. And if he does, he's either got room to run or probably somebody open uh, when the play breaks down like that. He looks – to me, more adept at escaping pressure and throwing on the run than Tyler Shuck. And, and Donovan Smith, going back to last year, I said the same thing back then. Um, Donovan took some terrible sacks against Yeah. <laughs> and the unfortunate part was, I think, Morton was hampered by his ankle injury after one half of playing healthy. So, like, you saw a lot of that against Oklahoma State and then maybe caught glimpses of it, but he was just a step too slow in the second half of that game and then I don't think ever got fully healthy based on how we kind of re-injured it against TCU. Um, but all that to say, like, that's kind of one of the bigger gripes about the offense is that, like, Shuck isn't making a ton of plays when the play breaks down. Maybe the protection isn't great. So if you have that baked in, I think it's understandable why people want to see Morton, a guy who is perceived to be better at evading pressure, throwing on the run, making something happen, given that context like if both quarterbacks if we had a great offensive line and both quarterbacks had a clean pocket every play it'd be less of a kind of upside for Morton but I did see I think his 
PFF grade. They were about even throwing from a clean pocket, Shuck and Morton were. But when the play broke down, I think Shuck was in the 40s, Morton was in the 70s. I mean, so a, a noticeable difference there um, that kind of just confirms what people's eyes are telling them. You said a word earlier with Tyler Shuck at quarterback, the word urgency. It just feels like Bear Morton played with more urgency in the game. And I, that might just be starter up 24. He knows he has the job. It's a, it's an FCS game versus a guy getting his first time all season. And if he doesn't play well, he's not getting any more time. But it did feel like Baron Morton played with more urgency, especially after his interception when he was screaming at Loic Fungi for blocking downfield instead of looking for the ball. Yeah. Um, and before we get to that drive, uh, I got like semi roasted on Twitter for giving Morton credit for scoring when they inherited the ball and went three and out in field goal yeah. range. Yeah. But like we saw a week ago, having the ball in the red zone doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get points. Like the quarterback can screw it up. And so did he like make a play in that series? No, but did he make some like, okay. He almost evaded a sack uh, for, I think a loss of one, maybe zero. We saw Shuck try to evade a sack last week against Oregon. And he fumbled the ball away. So was it a productive drive for Morton? No. Was it catastrophic? Also no. And that's an upgrade on some drives we've seen from the offense this season. All right, that brings us to the next turnover on downs from Tarleton. And included here is a sack from Miles Cole uh, on fourth and two. And a huge play in the course of the game where they absolutely could have Move the ball even further. Now, this is a 10-play drive that only nets 22 yards because of the sack, but a really, really good play by Miles Cole, who just said, all right, enough of this. I'm going to dominate the left tackle or right tackle. Uh, left tackle, yeah. Yeah, just a bull rush and kind of like he's still engaged with the left tackle as he's sacking the quarterback. Um, it's not like he broke free or anything. Just kind of manhandled him. And I, I think that's how both of our edge rushers play. I mean, they don't seem to – have a ton of moves or anything. I think it's mostly bull rushing. And that's what we saw from Tyree Wilson last year. So maybe that's just our, our go-to. Um, yeah, probably most offensive lines you play are going to be a little more skilled than Tarleton. But again, it would have been a glaring concern if you, if you can't sack Tarleton, uh, I would have just kind of been like, okay, we're not going to sack anybody all year. Um, so that was good to see Miles Cole get going a little bit. Um, he had the two sacks. And like I said, I think that the defensive line pressure also, aided in the interception to rabbit a couple series prior. And then Morton's next two drives. Um, he throws on the run a little bit. He throws without his feet being set. He was kind of shuffling on that first one where he drops it. I think perfectly to miles price, you know, where the defender couldn't get it. Um, are we in the trust tree right now, Rob? Yeah, we're in the trust tree. I don't think miles price caught that. He absolutely dropped it. <laughs> I think had they called it incomplete on the field, I think they would have, when they reviewed it, gone with whatever they called on the field. Had they called incomplete on the field, I think it would have stayed incomplete. They yeah. called it a catch, and I think there wasn't quite enough on tape to overturn it. There um, wasn't a great angle of it. Yeah. If it would have been on ESPN, it probably would have got overturned. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, the ESPN um, plus camera angles. Still a great throw, like still great ball placement and good effort from Price. I, I think he almost caught it. I just, yeah. Uh, if I'm being honest here. 
Um, and then the second one, same deal, third down. He's kind of got a – he's not running to his left, but, again, it's kind of like shuffling or just moving to his left. And the receiver's pretty open, but he puts it on him. Um, was that Jordan Brown, the second one? The second touchdown? Yeah. Yes. So, I, I, you know, neither one of those throws, you're just like, oh, wow, nobody else can make that throw. But I thought they were impressive. You know, they, they were accurate while he was on the move or didn't have his feet set. And it, you know, it did absolutely nothing to squash the we want Morton chatter from all the fans. It was like, you know, this is what they want to see. <laughs> yeah. And that was to close a 14-play drive that passed to Jordan Brown. What did you think of Nehemiah Martinez being the backup running back? I thought he did well with, with Valdez injured. Um, I want to talk Bryson Donnell later as well. But, um, yeah, I think maybe it's a little bit crowded at slot receiver. And Nehemiah Martinez is still a guy that you want to get some touches. He's built kind of like Taj. You know, they're both sort of bowling balls. I would love to see some two-back sets with yes. both of them on the field. And Nehemiah Martinez could lead block. I, I think so, too. Or, of course, Either. Taj yeah. Taj could lead back for Martinez and – that would also work. Um, you know, we, we usually motion Taj into the backfield if he lines up, split out. Um, but especially when you're going tempo, if you don't want to sub, you can have a Nehemiah as a slot receiver and then go two back or go empty with Nehemiah at slot receiver and then move him into the backfield if you want a running back, like if Taj isn't on the field. So I don't know. He, he missed the first game in Wyoming. I think they kind of eased him back against Oregon. But I think you can do some really creative stuff now that you're – you know, you play with zero tight ends sometimes. You play with one. You play with two. Now you can play with zero running backs, one running back, two running backs. Um, so I'm I'm fascinated by some personnel options if, if Nehemiah is going to be more of a running back than a slot receiver. But he, he can play both. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like his game. I just like Nehemiah Martinez. I want him to get touches. Yeah, I mean, just think about this. Like, you, you snap the ball on first down, and you can have – Nehemiah Martinez and Taj Brooks on either side of Shuck and Mason Tharp lined up as a true tight end. And then you can tempo that and split Tharp into one slot, Nehemiah Martinez into the other slot. Now you've got four wide when on the play before that you had two wide. So again, without subbing, you should be able to give several different looks based on some of your personnel. And I would like to see us kind of lean into some of that. I think that gives you a little bit of an edge on, on offense. Uh, the next drive is a field goal, a 13-play, 71-yard field goal drive from Tarleton State. It happens. This is your third-string defense a lot of the ways. Um, maybe some fourth-string defensive backs in there. You held them to a field goal anyways. Uh, I really like the look of some of these freshman defensive linemen, freshman linebackers. Mikel Dingle was – rocking people he had a couple of huge hits uh really like the look of him he can move too which, which we knew he was this all-world sprinter and hurdler but it's like to see it on the football field like a heat-seeking missile and yeah it gets you excited for like when him and brendan jordan and some of these guys are ben roberts when they're like third year fourth year plays you're like okay you know, we we're about to be really freaking good <laughs> uh next drive you had a, a holding mm. And then a run for two yards, so it's second and 18. You throw it down the field. Loke Fungi's blocking. Baron Morton lets him know it. Um, Joey had a comment after the game 
And again, I do acknowledge this is true to some extent, but he was like, yeah, everybody loves the backup quarterback, but they never talk about backups at other positions. So I'll, I'll challenge Joey on that a little bit here and say, we've talked enough about quarterback. I thought Loic Fungi was going to be a breakout type player. Um, had some great moments last season in the bowl game. He looked really good. I thought he would start opposite of Jerron Bradley and be really good. It doesn't seem like it's trending that way. And he hasn't been given a ton of targets. But you make a play like that against an FCS team when like both squads probably have their backups in. Meanwhile, Jordan Brown has a career high in catches, yards, and his first career touchdown. Uh, I, I'd be fine giving Jordan Brown a shot to start opposite of Bradley next game. And it also makes me wonder, candidly, did you process the wrong outside receiver when you let Trey Cleveland go? Because he looked really good in moments last year too. And he had some starts in big 12 play. I think he had 145 yards or something like that against Oklahoma state. Um, I don't know. It just seems like there's not a ton of trust in Sparkman and Fungi. They're not focal points of the offense. It's good to see Jordan Brown. Maybe you move Dre McCray outside, especially if Nehemiah Martinez is going to get more run. And if you're going to play with the tight end more, but um, yeah. So like, Joey said, we never talk about backups at other positions. I'm I'm fine letting there be kind of more open competition at that spot because, unfortunately, I don't think Fungi has produced at least like I expected him to. Yeah, and I think that's another layer to the conversation on Shuck. I don't think the wide receivers are open a lot of times. And when you're looking at second reads, third reads, which doesn't always feel like Tyler Shuck gets to, um, the first read generally isn't open either, which means you have to get to the second and third on nearly every play, which leads to some bad decisions and bad plays. But it just doesn't seem like the wide receivers are – some people say schemed open when they want to talk about the offensive coordinator. Other times it's getting open when you want to talk about the wide receivers. And then other times it's just you're missing your reads when you want to talk about the quarterback. It's all the same thing. Yeah, and I, I get all that, and I also think – when you have a six foot four, extremely athletic guy like Loic Fungi, doesn't necessarily need to be open. Um, the only catch I remember him making this year was a 19 yard back shoulder against Wyoming. He wasn't open. Shuck threw him open. It was great ball placement, and Fungi made a play, and we got 19 yards. And so, if we're waiting for everybody to be running wide open down the field, it, it's not going to happen. Um, and I, I've said this many times Jaden York on his touchdown grab, he wasn't open. He just made a better play than the DB there. Um, now, I'm not suggesting we just like throw it into coverage over and over, but if it's one-on-one, let your guy make a play. I mean, you, you can put it in a spot like Morton did with Miles Price in the end zone where only your guy can get it. You hear that on broadcast all the time. Oh, he put that where only his guy could get it. Well, yeah, like roll the dice there. If it's incomplete, it's incomplete. If your guy makes a play, then we get a first down or a touchdown. Um, so I don't know. I think maybe fans to some extent need to temper their expectations. There's not going to be a guy running wide open 20 yards downfield every play. Sometimes it's well covered and you have to check it down or um, or trust your guy to make a play. And I, I don't I don't know if we've seen enough of that consistently. I, I've re- I referenced a few spots that we've done it, but um, in the Wyoming game when we did it early on, it felt like we froze up in the middle of that game and quit allowing guys to make plays like that. Uh, the game ends on a 10-play, 45-yard drive to the Texas Tech 16. They could have kicked another field goal. Uh, they didn't. They kind of just ended the game, but is what it is. You win 41 to three overall thoughts, fine performance. 
you did what everyone thought you should do, really. Um, I think the defense performed better than I thought, and I think the offense just looked fine. Do you remember what we said we wanted to see going into the game in our preview episode? Uh, I said no more than 17 points. Check. But I wanted a 50-burger. Not quite. Yeah. And the offense, you know, really only gets credit for 34 of those because Malik did seven of it himself from the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, wanted to run the ball well. Check. Check. Wanted to take three. Check. Check. Uh, wanted everybody to be healthy. Um, I think uh, I think a couple guys got like dinged up, but I don't. I think they all walked off under their own power. And I think Jaden Smith, the Tarleton State player, got positive updates from. Tarleton State's football account that he's returned home and, and doing well. So, um, yeah, like you did what you should do. It the, the only thing that would have been bad to me is like an injury or Tarleton somehow like exposes you in an area of the game. You're like, oh wow, if if we can't do this or that versus an FCS team, then it's gonna that's gonna be a weak point all throughout conference play. And I, I don't think that happened either. So, yeah, no gripes really. Um, I think you're about what I thought you were after Wyoming and Oregon. I think. It's a team that is competitive, um, maybe has a pretty wide gap between their floor and their ceiling game to game. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm really excited for – I'll save it for the preview episode, but um, excited for the test in Morgantown. I think this is a good matchup. It's a good opportunity, and it, it's a game that I think is going to be indicative for both programs in terms of momentum and, and trajectory. So it's a, it's a big spot. It might not feel like a big game to people. But in my opinion, it is. Oh, it's a huge game. I wonder, too, you talked about some of the freshmen getting some run. I wonder if any of them played well enough against Tarleton that they'll be given a shot in some Big 12 games. Um, but it, it was good to see the the freshmen or the, the fish out there. Yeah, you know what are the fish I like to see? What's that, Rob? I like to see Wreck'em Outdoors Instagram account. Wreck'em Outdoors. Wade Fishing in Legendary Baffin Bay. Uh, they just catch monster fish after monster fish. Put them on the Instagram page. If you want to catch a monster fish, go to wreckingoutdoors.com. Talk to Captain Preston Long and just catch some monster fish. Wade fishing in Baffin Bay. Uh, call them today or look on the website and book a trip. Wreckingoutdoors.com and follow them on Instagram for some giant fish picks, which uh, are my favorite kind of picks, fish picks. You want to run through a mailbag? Yeah, before we do, I'll just um, real quick, the opening lines from Circa Sports around the Big 12. Texas Tech three-point favorite against West Virginia and Morgantown. Curious where that moves just because it's so close to a, a pick em, and we are on the road, of course. Around the Big 12, Kansas favored by seven at home against BYU. That's a little bit higher than I expected. Oklahoma favored by 11 in Cincinnati. Big noon kickoff going there for that one. This one should be fascinating, Rob. Iowa State favored by three against Oklahoma State. That's in Ames. The total is 35 and a half. I don't know if they get there. I don't know why they would. <laughs> like, what What would you set Oklahoma State's team total at? They scored seven at home against South Alabama, and Iowa State doesn't give up more than 10 to anybody. Yeah, like 11 and a half. Hammer yeah. the under. And if they're at 11 and a half, like you think Iowa State's going to go score 24? No. <laughs> I, 
I I wouldn't bet on that game. I'm glad I don't have to handicap it, but uh, that should be a beautiful disaster. TCU, the only team playing out of conference, I think. Oh, them in Houston, but TCU favored by seven against SMU. Kansas State favored by eight against UCF. Texas favored by 13 in Waco against Baylor. And then the Houston Bowl, Houston favored by 14 against Sam Houston. So uh, TCU and Houston, they played the first conference game this past Saturday. They're both out of conference, and then it'll be all all Big 12 games from that point forward. So I see, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five games that are one possession or less spread. So it should be an interesting slate. Yeah, Kansas State can't let Missouri beat them twice. Yeah. Can't have a letdown there, especially with uh, UCF's very first Big 12 game. I think a lot of these are – they're matchups between teams that I think are kind of jockeying for position with each other. Like Tech West Virginia, I think both teams right now, the like floor five and seven ceiling, eight wins maybe. And so like an important, important game for whoever uh, to win this one. Kansas and BYU, same deal. I view them both as like middle big 12 teams. Kansas feels like they need to defend home turf. BYU could notch another huge road win. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, neither one wants to be last place. And Kansas State, UCF, I'd view that as like a top half of the conference matchup. So usually you get kind of like this separation Saturday type slate later in the year, but I think these are important games early in the conference schedule. So it should be fun to watch. All right, Matador Transit Mailbag. Let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Do I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? All right, let's uh, hit it here. I want to get one off the YouTube stream. First, by the way, if you watch on YouTube, go ahead and hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. If you're watching back or watching live, smash it. Uh, Greg says, no excuse for a six-year quarterback. That's my gripe. When we were talking about Tyler Shuck. And, and yes, Tyler Shuck is in his fifth year, I believe. Not his sixth. Um, but he's only started 20 games. Like, as, as experienced as people think he is, he's only started 20 games. Now, should he look better? Yes. But when people say six-year, like, he's Bo Nix, Bo Nix has started 50 games. Like, they're just – they're not the same. He's not a traditional fifth-year quarterback. Uh, is there anything we as fans can do to persuade Texas Tech to go with Mahomes brand instead of Under Armour? I think the hay is in the barn on your next apparel deal, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I agree. So, no, I don't think we need to start a movement. I think I think it's already more or less been determined, and we'll get an announcement sometime. And there was, uh, you know, the well, the Under, Under Armour has a chance to match. How can they possibly match Patrick Mahomes' appearance clauses? And, and would they really be incentivized to try anyway? Like they've they've been dropping team deals left and right. 
Like I think they'll want to stay. Is do they have Notre Dame right now? They have Notre Dame, and they tried to get Kansas State, but didn't get them. And like Maryland is kind of their flagship. So like I don't know. They've had a long relationship with Tech, and I think we were one of their first schools. So maybe they're super committed to trying trying to keep Tech. I I have no idea, but I I think that. Um, I think the athletic department is aware of the fan sentiment and aware of the benefits of aligning with Patrick Mahomes and Adidas. And hopefully we'll get the outcome that we all want. Has anyone ever taken Swamp Donkey seriously? In what respect exactly? I don't know. It's an out of context question here in the mailbag. I know, I know Swamp Donkey to be a very dedicated professional, a devout family man, and pretty sharp gambler, at least when it comes to soccer. So, yeah, I take him seriously. Can Rob or Kyle, this is a Kyle question, uh, list off 10 countries that play in South America's soccer confederation? Now, why is it a Kyle question when it's addressed specifically to Rob and Kyle? Because you're the guy that answers the questions. You're the quiz guy. I'm going to look up the South American Soccer Confederation. So I know where South America is located. I can name some countries there. Do I know who plays in what soccer federation? No. I didn't know there was something called the South American Soccer Federation. The CONMEBOL. Okay, that I guess is different than CONCACAF. So I'm, I'm going to take guesses in the dark and All you right. tell me if they're right or wrong. I'll give you three wrongs. Okay. To get 10. Okay. Three strikes. These are countries that play in? Yes. Okay. Give me uh, Brazil. Yes. Let's go. How about Chile? Yes. Argentina? Yes. Bolivia? Yes. All right, I'm four for four. Uh, Don't blow it now. Paraguay? Yes. Uruguay. Yes. Okay, that's six. How's about oh some of the like Central America ones? I, I don't know if they're CONCACAF or South America. Gosh, I wish I was better at uh how's about uh, Venezuela? Yes. Oh, he can't be stopped. Seven for seven. Um oh man. You got it. Caracas, Venezuela. Colombia. Colombia. Yes. Bogota, Colombia. Did I say Peru? No, you have. Uh, me, no, you have it. Peru. Give, give me more. Peru. Yes. Lima, Peru. Um, did I? How about? I don't know if this is right. Ecuador. Ecuador. Ten for ten. Ten for ten. I yes, should rip my shirt off and brandy chastain it over my head. Oh! The haters and losers thought it could never happen. Wow, that was exhilarating. <laughs> how many more are there? That was like how, but is there are there more in the league than that? No, it's ten for ten. There's ten in the league. Oh, okay. Well, damn. All right. Uh, let's see. There are sovereign states which are not affiliated. So there's uh, Guyana, Suriname, French Ghana, and the Falkland Islands. 
are associated but not in the league. Okay. So there is you it, go. Is it Guinea? Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I already okay. stopped it. That's why it was a year question. Yeah. Uh, can Rob and Kyle play GeoGuessr instead of cover sports for one pot? By the way, three people said no, you couldn't do that. Uh, save their names. All right, I got it. Oh, Swamp Donkey was one of them. After you just said you trusted in Swamp Donkey. It, well, it's amazing how they switch up on you, Rob. It's it's really crazy. Just had his back. Mm. Wow. That hurts, Chuck. That hurts. Do you Are you familiar with GeoGuessr? No, I don't think so. So they just plop you down in a random point um, in Google Maps. And you have to look around and guess where you are. Guess the country, state. It's, you uh, have to guess yeah, what country you're in? Uh, like down to the city. Wow. Yeah, it's really okay. hard when people do it. People like stream it on Twitch. It's pretty electric when they get it. Yeah, I mean, I might be able to do that like – on a much more localized, like I might be able to guess a Texas city that you plot me down in or yeah. something, but anywhere in the world, like I'm not well-traveled or like, obviously right. I would get Paris if you drop me down by like the Eiffel tower. But if you geo guessed me in Lubbock, I could give you street names. Oh yeah. But I don't know that I could do uh put me down in Paris without the Eiffel tower. I don't think I could uh, tell you where we are. Yeah. Or like, some of the countries I just rattled off, if they dropped you in Peru, like how in the world would you know yeah. Peru versus? But there are people like out in the middle of nowhere. They're like, all right, this is a left driving lane. Uh, I see some, you know, Czech Republic language here in the background. Like it's... a bird species that's native only to one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're crazy. That's great. Uh, should tech make tailgating easier like it used to be? I remember coming to games as a kid in the parking lot being full of tailgating rigs. It was so much better than what we have now. I, I just wish that um, – I think just having a giant parking lot is maybe not the move, and I don't know like how you work around that, but it seems to me like the coolest tailgate spaces involve like some green space um, – Stuff like that. So I, I'm far from an expert on, on all that. Um, but yeah, and, and there was a time, I think they switched this, but they used to make the like student organizations tailgate like a mile from the Jones, you know, at like 15th and X or whatever. And it was like, well, they're not even going to come to the game. They're just going to stay at the tailgate. And I think they switched that. And now there's tailgating space for them by the stadium. So I think that's great. You know, the closer to the stadium, the better. Um but, yeah, I don't know what the solution is to that. I think the game day experience got bad during the end of the Cliff era and the Wells era because they didn't really focus on it. But I think it's improved year over year in the last three. Like the last year, the Wells era, I think they really, coming out of COVID, focused on it. And I feel like it's gotten better the last two years for sure. And I think the Oregon game and the Tarleton game had really good atmospheres for both of those outside the stadium and inside. And maybe you, you just utilize like some of the green space that's already there. Like I know when they knock down the Coliseum, I, th I think they use that area for tailgating, but like the, the engineering key, I think that's usually where they do the concert if they have one. And uh, I guess you can't use a green space at, at Memorial circle, but if there's existing places like that on campus that they can, and, and I know it's a whole logistics deal with like parking and landlocked. Yeah. So I, 
I, I don't know, but I, I think that's what they should look for is I know the parking lot there gives you a ton of open space to bring in trailers and everything, but um, especially in September, man, it's just it's hot out there on the pavement and some green space with some trees, I think would be, you know, a, a good upgrade there. Uh, if we change the Patrick Mahomes Adidas brand, does that mean we are stuck with Jackson? This is Chris's Super Bowl. Uh, okay. We need to have a conversation as a fan base about eating our own. Okay. And this really chapped my hide when Cliff was here, when our own fans would call him Coach Bro. It's like, you know that you're just parroting insults at other fan bases and media members throw at us, right? So, like, does Jackson Mahomes suck? Yes, absolutely. But why do we, as Texas Tech fans, Patrick Mahomes fans, need to bring that up all the time? Like, we all know his brother's a moron, but, like, who cares? We, we're rooting for him because he's a Super Bowl MVP and one of the greatest athletes in the world. So quit bringing up Jackson Mahomes, in my opinion. And, and Jackson and Brittany are worlds better than they were three years ago. That's facts. Uh, what's the most generic mascot besides a wildcat? A bulldog. A bulldog, a tiger, an eagle. Yeah, that's something I – so the SEC either has the most unique mascot, the Volunteers, the Razorbacks. The but they've also got the Gamecocks. They've got a Commodore. They've also got three Tigers, uh, at least two Wildcats, I think. Let's see, Missouri's the Tigers, Auburn's the Tigers, LSU's the Tigers, Kentucky's the Wildcats. Maybe they only have one Wildcats. Uh, but, oh, they have two Bulldogs, Mississippi State and Georgia. Um, so, yeah, totally hit or miss in the SEC. And then I guess we'll have two Cougars in the new Big 12, or uh, the existing Big 12. Uh, we'll have two Wildcats, Arizona and Kansas State. Something people should be aware of, if you're shortening it to Cougs, C-O-U is BYU. C-O-O is Houston. Good to know. Yeah. That's why we have you around, Kyle. Yes. Uh, do you think the new clock rules will have any effect on the number of upsets? No, because the final two minutes are the same and you still get stop clock stoppages. I actually disagree. I think that the more you shorten the game, the more likely it is. So the perfect example last year that I saw was TCU. Think of how many games they were losing in the third quarter that they wound up winning. Like, would they have won all of those if they had two fewer possessions? Probably not. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. Uh, I mean, I I like longer games, more plays. But I think you look at a case study like that. It's kind of an extreme example because they had so many comeback wins and, and one-score games. But I think it can have an impact for sure. Okay. I, I think we're kind of agreeing there. I read it as well, you have less upsets, but I think you could have more upsets with the clock changes or at least the same amount. Yeah. I, th I think if anything, it, so like, you know, every now and then there, there's a 10 or a 14 point favorite that it just takes them a while to turn it on. Yeah. It pulls away at the fourth quarter. I think games that used to end like that are going to end a lot closer now because of the fewer possessions. So it could be more upsets. I, I'm there with you. Yeah. Uh, does our D line have any sacks this year? 
Uh, I think this was asked before Miles Cole got his two. And I think Steve Linton was credited with one against Wyoming at least. We had two versus Wyoming, one really early, one on their last possession regulation where you know they probably didn't have enough clock anyway. Uh, I think that's the main gripe. And, I, and you had Bo Nix once in the first half. It's like they haven't come in big moments where like, hey, it's third and four, we need to stop. So you have five sacks, I think, through three games. That's not a great number. And they haven't been like when you needed it the most. And you've been gashed when you're not getting a sack. It's turning into quarterback runs for first downs. Yeah. All right, I've got three straight Morton questions. I'm going to read all three and then you just kind of rapid fire because we've already talked about it. Sure. I'm going to read all three so we don't have to triple dip. After this performance, is there officially a quarterback controversy? Is Morton him? Why can't tech coaches move on from the guy who won the job out of camp? And would Kitley start Morton without McGuire's input? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I have no idea on the last one. I think there's not a quarterback controversy. There's not a quarterback competition. Uh, Is Morton him? That's what the kids are saying nowadays. I think so. I think he's an incredibly talented quarterback. I think his main detriment right now is experience. And how do you get experience? You you go play during the games. (laughs) Uh, So kind of a catch-22 there. Um, I, I guess I will go on record, not directly answering any of those. I'm not of the belief, maybe like some people are, that you change quarterbacks, everything's hunky-dory, 50 burgers every week, all your problems go away. No, I think Morton kind of has that gunslinger mentality. Like, if he starts three or four games here, he's going to turn the ball over and he might make some bad reads. Like, I have no doubt that that will happen. My my counter-argument to that is that it's already happening with an older, more experienced player so I'm okay to let the younger guy take his lumps so that in 2024 and beyond, maybe he's not making some of those same mistakes. Um, so I, I can foresee that happening, you know, for whatever reason, Morton gets a start. And then his first pick, everybody who's team shook comes out. I was like, Oh, well you wanted Morton so bad. And now you're at, you're getting what you asked for. It's like, well, I know it's not going to be right. perfect if, if, and when Morton takes over, but, um, but yeah, I don't think there's a quarterback controversy. He's been very clear about that. McGuire has, now, why can't they move on? I think that – I don't know. I think, well, first off, they get hours and hours of practice and two-a-days in offseason that we don't have access to. And maybe if we all witnessed the same thing, we wouldn't think there was a quarterback competition either. And maybe they're just sensitive to how a change would be perceived in the locker room. Like, you want competitive guys, you know, trying to jockey for playing time – I also think you want some amount of certainty and continuity and you don't want people looking over their shoulder, like paranoid that they're going to be replaced if they make a mistake. So I don't know, maybe they're trying to balance that. I, I don't have any kind of inside scoop or, or insight there. I'm just guessing like anybody else. I am going to move on from this topic. There's like three more questions on it. Okay. Uh, No, there's one more. Uh, does Shuck have a shorter leash going into West Virginia? It doesn't sound like it to me. I mean, do you have a different perception? Uh, shorter than it has been, but I don't think that means it's short. I think I think maybe they have a leash now, but I don't think it's like a short leash. But maybe they bought a leash after just having him on heel. Do you think there's a scenario where – Joey is true to his word and Shuck is the starter, 
but we see Morton for two drives. Yes. I could maybe see that or like some two quarterback. Um, and it would be Joey being true saying like, Shuck is a starter. He played 85% of the snaps. But yeah, like if you're, if it's the third quarter against West Virginia and it's, we're losing 13 to 10, maybe you don't like fully make the switch, but you say, hey, let's see if Barron can provide a spark here. Maybe he gets a drive or two in the third quarter. Or, or if it's 28 to six. Yeah, thinking, at that point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what will the total points scored next week be between Oklahoma State and Iowa State? Uh, under 35 and a half. I don't think I'd argue with you there. Under. All right. Now, you have a list of non-con losses in the Big 12. Uh, do you have that pull-upable, or do you have it off the top of your dome? I have it mostly memorized. So, so here's can... the question. Okay. Is Wyoming the best non-con loss in the Big 12? I think that probably Kansas State going on the road to Mizzou is like the least – cringy loss either that or Oregon at home for tech um yeah I I think that throwing the respective of the the non-power five ones though yeah I I think throwing the respective spreads out the window um because part of that is based on how good you are or you're perceived to be like losing to Ohio I, I, I view Ohio and Miami of Ohio as like roughly equal and I view Cincinnati and Iowa State as roughly equal. So I, I would put those on par with each other. I think the – I don't think Texas State is a bad team. But for Baylor to lose to an in-state program at home like that, I think is probably still the worst loss, even though I don't think Texas State is the worst team that a Big 12 squad has lost to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Still the worst one. It'd be like if if Texas lost to UTSA last year, Okay, UTSA is a good team. Jeff Trailer's a good coach, but like the University of Texas should never lose to UTSA. Yeah. Uh, knowing what we know now about everyone, what preseason wins or losses predicted on the rest of Tech's schedule would you change today? Uh, this is kind of a, a quarter into the season. So if you had somebody as a win or a loss for Texas Tech moving forward, are you flipping any of those games? Are you waffling? Um, I'm probably more confident in Waco now. I would say that Baylor has moved for me from like lean Baylor to toss up, and Kansas and UCF have flipped from lean tech to toss up. So basically, I just think there's more kind of chaos. I thought Kansas State and TC were toss ups coming in. I think they're still both toss ups. Um, this sounds like such a cop-out. I thought BYU and West Virginia were both lean tech. They're both toss-ups. So I think every game you play in Big 12 play besides maybe Texas, where I would say lean Texas, is basically a toss-up. Because you don't get to play Oklahoma State or Iowa State. I would I would be all over tech still, even with the non-con losses. Um, Travesty. But, yeah, I think – I mean, like, oh, Houston, I'm still – I was – I thought tech would be a touchdown-ish favorite, and I think they still will be. But, yeah, like, other than two or three, I think they're all winnable and all losable. Is Tech going to be four and two? I think I think Morgantown is going to be tougher than Waco. Yeah. Um, 
And so in that respect, I think that's the domino that needs to fall. And that's the one you get first. I think if you win in Morgantown, I hope the team doesn't look ahead, but like fans can look at it and go, okay, if we can win in Morgantown, we can win in Waco and we can win at home against Houston in between. And if you get to three and zero in big 12 play, Joey kind of alluded to it. Like our goals are still out in front of us yeah. in terms of competing for the big 12. Uh, that's not the vibe with the fan base after losing to Wyoming and losing to Oregon. But if you start three and zero, like, the crowd is going to be there in Lubbock and you're not looking at a game like Kansas state or TCU as like, Oh, well we're real nervous about that. You're looking at it like, Hey, if we keep stacking these wins, we're going to have a shot to do something in, in November. So uh, that's part of why I think this game in, in West Virginia is so huge. Final question. Does Texas Tech need to take the advice y'all gave to West Virginia at the beginning of the season on how they'd run the offense? Well, Maybe. I think that generally, yes. But without Garrett Green, I don't know if their other quarterback can run. I still think they need to feed C.J. Donaldson for sure. And I also didn't know who's going to catch passes for West Virginia this year, but I think Devin Carter, the NC State transfer, has kind of emerged. Um, against Pitt, I mean, hell, they could have just seriously kneeled the ball and, and run some clock and punted it back. Um, I, I still think – I think his name is pronounced Nico uh, Markial. I don't think they want to get into shootouts or have him throw the ball 40 times a game. He's a young and experienced guy. So in that sense, I think the recipe is still the same for West Virginia. And I, I would like to see you kind of mimic that, like run the ball with Taj, run the ball with Shuck. Not as much as you run it with Taj, but, you know, use, use Shuck's feet to your advantage. And then use that to set up pass plays like what we saw to Tharp, that creative – looks like a shallow cross, turns into a wheel route up the seam. You know, use a run game to to torch him with the pass game like that. But I, I thought early in the season or before the season, I wanted West Virginia to run the ball 80% of the time. I just want Texas Tech to be even, 50-50. Agreed. Like I, I, don't, I don't want Texas Tech to go full run like I wanted West Virginia to. So I would say no on the question. Uh, but more, yeah, I want more runs, yes. But I liked the Tarleton spread. I, I liked how they called the game. I just think you need to execute better. To that end, uh, I know we'll preview West Virginia on Wednesday, but I think the position matchup in this one is their All-American center, Zach Frazier, to a lesser extent, their entire offensive line is very experienced. I think they had 105 career starts combined coming into the year. But he's a legit All-American at center, and then you've got, of course, Tony Bradford, Jalen Hutchings with 70-something career starts between the two of them, all-conference caliber um, interior defensive linemen. So both teams, you know, Texas Tech has been great at stopping the run for the most part this year, and that's what West Virginia is going to have to do to win the game, and they're going to try to do it up the gut with their All-American center. So I, I know that's not the sexiest position to watch, and most people's eyes follow the ball. But look in the trenches. Like, look at how Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford are able to do or how they're kept at bay by Zach Frazier. I think that's, like, going to be the position battle that has a huge impact on on deciding the game. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what else, Jeff? It was so funny. Speaking of Zach Frazier, so funny at the end of the backyard brawl. Like, the he's good. Like, he's fun to watch. And I'm not a big, like, offensive line guru or anything. I, I like watching the skill guys – um, you know, that wear the sweatbands and the visors and all that. I'm a casual in that respect, but he's fun to watch. So he 
he moves people wherever he wants to move them. And these pit defenders were getting so fed up with it at the end of the game. And oh, yeah. They're like, you know, mad at him after the play and trying to like slap him, shove him, like, you know, get off me. And he keeps his cool every play, just like puts his hands up. He's like, because he, he doesn't need to do that after this. He's like, I'll just move you around next play um, after we snap the ball. So th- they were frustrated by him. They had no answer for him. He's good. And the good news is Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford are also really good. Um, so anyway, that, that, I'm really excited to see that matchup. It's one I had kind of circled from the beginning when when we got the schedule release was their center against your two D tackles. Um, so yeah, I'll save the rest for our, our Wednesday episode. All right. That's all I got too. Do you have any final thoughts? Yes, but you know me, I've got to pull them up real quick. Yeah. Well, cause I don't just have them handy. Part of the show. Never do. All right. Let's pick one of these bad boys at random. Um, I like to see this Proverbs website that you have pulled up. Here's a good one. Okay. The stomach is not content with nice words. Mm. And especially after the Wyoming loss, you know, we had the shut up and show up kind of theme. And you know, all this offseason hype about we'd beat the bowl team from last year by 14 points and we want to be Big 12 champs, yada, yada. And you lose Wyoming, that's out the window. Shut up and show up. And now I'm I'm excited to get to Big 12 play because this is these are the games that really matter. Unless you're a college football playoff contender, the non-con doesn't matter. So there's a lot of nice words about Texas Tech all offseason. But at the end of the day, you got to eat. And you get your first chance to eat in Big 12 play on Saturday. So the stomach is not content with nice words. I love it. And I hope the belly of Texas Tech football agrees with me. Hope they're hungry. Me too. All right. That's all I got. See you Wednesday. Love y'all.